Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Welcome back to Stateside Madness. This is the one and only podcast dedicated to the band Madness. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And we have something kind of unique for you today. We haven't done something like this before, but this is going to be an episode about the politics of madness. And we've really been doing a lot of research to put this together for you. So we're looking forward to this. But before we get into that, let's start the communicator. So first up in the communicator, happy birthday to Woody Woodgate, who turned 61 on Tuesday, October 19th. Many happy returns. And also on Tuesday the 19th, it happens to be the 42nd anniversary of the One Step Beyond album. One of our favorites. Okay, next up, Mark Bedford recently appeared on an episode of the Jamming Fanzine podcast. In an episode called Mods and Sods. Hey, Mark, how about doing an episode of our podcast? We would love to have you. Yes, that we would. Um, you know, hey, I mean, he's in the band. Why wouldn't we? You know, you just want me to embarrass myself because, you know, I used to have a crush on him back in the day. Who, who but, haven't you had a crush on in the band? No, actually, the only crush I've really had has been, been Mark. I've never oh, had a crush on, I, yeah, I've never had a crush on Tom. Oh, I just love him. Oh, okay. It's a platonic kind of love. <laughs> but, I guess uh, so. but yeah, so Mark, I can't promise that I'm not going to go completely fangirl on you, but uh, we'll try to make, make you comfortable. I'll, I'll keep you under control. And on a sadder note, um, we just got word this week, although this will air about a week later. So uh, it would appear that Everett Morton, the original drummer from the beat, or English beat, as we would call them here in the United States, passed away on October 8th. Uh, quite, quite sad that uh, first there would have been Saxa, then ranking Roger, and now Everett. And um, I do hope you know, we're, we're spared many more of the band passing away anytime, anytime soon. Our deepest condolences to the Morton family. Chris, what time is it? Showtime. Okay, so now on to our episode, The Politics of Madness. So let me explain a little bit what we had in mind when we came up with this idea. You know, very frequently I hear about lots of musicians and lots of bands. I hear fans saying, boy, I really like them when they're not getting all political or I wish they'd stick to the music. And, you know, it, it was, they were better before they got all political. And I've heard that criticism about madness before. And it kind of drives me nuts because if you know anything about the band, they've always been political uh, yeah that they have and um you know at least so uh so much as they continue to have songs uh of a, at least a vaguely political nature on every album um but they're not so overt as to be kind of right in your face most of the time 
which I think to their credit plays really, really well with their fan base. So it is no wonder that Madness does have a political aspect to them. Uh, they were heavily influenced by Jamaican ska music, which in and of itself is very political by nature. Early ska songs reflected the experience of people in Jamaica in the 1950s and 1960s, when Jamaica was plagued with poverty, violence, and crime. In 1962, when Jamaica gained independence from Britain, many of the popular music reflected the new political realities. And then we started to see the two-tone ska movement. And when that took a hold in Britain, many of the two-tone band's songs addressed racism and urban blight and took aim at the policies of Margaret Thatcher's conservative government. In fact, the day that Madness played their first gig using the name Madness was May 3rd, 1979, the same day that Margaret Thatcher was elected Prime Minister of Great Britain. It seems like Madness and Thatcher have always been intertwined somehow, you know, for good or for bad. Madness's members have always been active politically, for example, with the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, or CND, and Artists Against Apartheid. Two of the band members, Betters and Woody, participated in a charity record called Starvation. That was back in 1985, and it was inspired by Band Aid. So it's worth noting here that not all seven band members are of one mind politically. As you might imagine, I mean, you know, anytime you get a group of seven people together, even if they're the best of friends, there's going to be some disagreement. And I know very recently I had read that uh, the band were of two different minds regarding Brexit, where some of the band members were pro-Brexit, some of them were against. So we don't necessarily mean to imply that all seven band members are of the same affiliation politically. As we start to listen to some of their songs and discuss the political meanings behind them, I want to give a special thank you to the website sevenraggedmen.com. I had a good amount of research, but there were a few songs that we couldn't really find much information on. So late last night, I went on the website sevenraggedmen.com and I found lots of stuff that I was missing. So big shout out to Ian at uh, Seven Ragged Men and thank you for... Uh, for helping with the research here. So one of the band's earliest songs with a political vibe to it was Don't Quote Me On That. And the story behind this is, as listeners will know, because we've discussed this in some of our previous episodes, very early on, Madness inadvertently found themselves embroiled in a political controversy of sorts. Members of the National Front and British movement were coming to Madness shows and stirring up conflict. A reporter for the magazine New Musical Express pressed the band for comment. Carl reportedly told the reporter, some of those kids are my mates and they're good kids. They know I don't agree with their views. And so what if they wear Union Jacks and Nazi swastikas? I don't care about that. So he, he was a young, naive teenager, probably didn't realize what he was stepping in when he said that. And the article ran in NME with the headline, Nice Band, Shame About the Fans. So Carl wrote the song, Don't Quote Me On That, as a direct response to the NME piece. It's all, it's all eggs, eggs, bacon, bacon beans, beans, and a fried slice.
Now, a few years later in a 1984 interview, Carl said, it's unfortunate because we were part of the two-tone thing and we were all white. We felt at the time we'd written a song, The Prince, which was a tribute to a black guy, Prince Buster. We were very naive. And unfortunately, I think these allegations of racism continued to haunt the band for a long time. Uh, that they did. And it's not lost on me that um, now that we're living in the internet age, the frequency with which um, you know minor miscommunications and things like that really come to bite people in the ass. And everybody's always going to come out with some sort of retraction or um, clarification on very nearly everything they say so you know nme that long ago was one thing but boy doesn't it come around with great frequency now another madness song mrs hutchinson uh, mike barson composition is about mike's mother pat and her experiences with britain's national health service now she had gone to the doctor feeling unwell and it turns out that they explained to her, told her that she had terminal cancer. Now, several weeks go by, the hospital realizes they made a mistake. They had misdiagnosed her. She really just had gallstones. And so there you go. That's a little, uh, little fodder there for Mike Barson to get a little bit of aggression. Well, Mrs. Hutchinson, you're looking healthy. Just in case Here's a pill, a remedy Well, this is Hutchinson This is something That little upset I thought I diagnosed Well, not to worry Just not what I supposed You better sit down, son Your mother's very ill but uh yeah it's a unfortunate scenario and enough to make anybody uh, a little bit skewed against the national health service yeah it was my understanding that um the doctor was also saying one thing to the family and another thing to Mrs. Barson, where, you know, oh, yes, Mrs. Barson, you're, you're, you're going to be okay. And then when she leaves the room, oh, it, it's really dire, you know, she, she's not going to make it, it's terminal. And I think that that's alluded to at the very end of the song. I have to tell you, it's my duty to speak. Your mother will not last the week. But then ironically, after all of that, finding out, yeah, it's just gallstones. I can't even imagine. Terrifying. Yeah. If that happened here, you know, we'd be talking malpractice lawsuits. Next up, we have Tomorrow's Dream, which was written by Lee Thompson and Mike Barson. Now, there's actually a couple different things going on in this song at once. It's primarily a commentary on animal testing told from the perspective of the animals. However, there's also a commentary on Reagan's Star Wars missile defense program, according to Lee. And that would probably be that line, you can't burn me with your laser beams. Let's listen.
same with this next song, Sign of the Times. Well, perhaps not political per se, this song is a satire about British tabloid culture. Now, British tabloids are notoriously brutal. Uh, one thing that comes to mind was the death of Princess Diana and Dodi Fayed, right, who were being chased by paparazzi for the British tabloids. And that's just one example. I mean, I can think of several others off the top of my head. Let's listen to Sign of the Times. Sign of the Times, a commentary on British tabloid culture. Any thoughts on that one, Polly? Uh, not so much, uh, aside from, yeah, uh, my experience, uh, the little bit I've been in, in the UK, you know, we certainly have the supermarket tabloid sort of thing happening here. In the UK, it's a whole nother level. And uh, they, you're, you're right, they are quite vicious. Another one that comes to mind, though, was the situation with Polly Yates and Michael Hutchins of NXS, and they were just hounded, hounded by the British press. Yeah, to an absolute extreme that we don't see here. So, Polly, next up is Mr. Speaker gets the word. And I know that Mr. Speaker refers to the Speaker in the British House of Commons, which is kind of the equivalent of the Speaker of the House of Representatives here in the U.S. So in that respect, I know it's political, but other than that, I couldn't tell you exactly what it's about. You're, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, Mr. Speaker Gets the Word is uh, almost like a deliberately vague and a bit uh, sing-song. Uh, so yeah, uh, although we know it would be right to say that it's about the Speaker of the British House of Commons, um, it doesn't really hit at a whole lot. So why don't we actually take a listen to Mr. Speaker Gets the Word? That would be a Suggs and Bars and Composition. absolutely no idea. Like I said, I know it, it's political, but I couldn't tell you what exactly they're getting at there. So, yeah. So next up, we're going to talk about a Lee Thompson composition. It is Blue Skinned Beast. Now, Blue Skinned Beast is about the war in the Falklands that happened in 1982 between Britain and Argentina. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it's being told from the perspective of a military recruiter. Maybe we should listen to it. Let's listen to it and then let's talk a little more about it. I can fly you to your loved ones, but I can promise no return to a shell shock God forsaken where the craters still labor. Have a drink on me. Have a drink on me. That I hope you understand Then you're one more hurdle over A protector of the land Have a drink on me I put you down to the company Three cheese to the blue skin beast Dip it To the blue skin beast Dip it Three cheese to the blue 
So, yeah, doesn't that kind of sound like, you know, he's trying to recruit somebody here, have a drink on me, you know, put you down for the company? Yeah, I, I can see that, definitely. Um, you know, uh, early on listening to this, because um, it's, it's not a hugely noteworthy song, save for it appears on the uh, the Madness American, you know, comp- uh, compilation. So it's a, it's a song that American fans would have learned uh, quite some time ago. I kind of um, go back a little bit between whether it could be a recruiter, whether it could be somebody just retelling tales of um, their exploits in the war or things like that. But uh, yeah, I think it's a good take to say that it's, it could be from the perspective of a recruiter. And um, I know we talked about this a little bit when we talked about that first compilation album, the American compilation. And I kind of wonder if maybe the the meaning, the significance of Blue Skin Beast maybe isn't lost on a lot of American fans. So Lee Thompson has said before in interviews that the Blue Skinned Beast is Margaret Thatcher. And as we've mentioned in previous episodes, the colors associated with the political parties in Great Britain are the opposite of what they are here in the United States. So here in the US, when we talk about blue states and red states, the blue states are usually the, the democratic or the, the, the Democrat states, right? The more liberal of the two parties. And the red states are Republican, which are more conservative. Now in the UK, it's the opposite. The conservative party, formerly known as the Tory party was blue. And then the liberal party was red. And I think that was labor, right? Wasn't wasn't the Liberal Party the Labor Party? That is correct. Okay, thank you. Margaret Thatcher, of course, being the Iron Lady, the uh, Prime Minister and head of the Conservative Party, she was kind of at the time she was the the British equivalent of Ronald Reagan, essentially. And Reagan and Thatcher were kind of besties. At least that's what they projected. I don't know how they felt about each other, you know, privately, but now. Speaking of the color blue, we have another song that references the conservative party, and that is called Turning Blue. And this one was written by Suggs and Chris Foreman. So according to Madness biographer John Reed, the song speaks of sinister international politics. And Suggs has said, in this one, we raise the issue of spending money on nuclear weapons. Let's listen to this one, Turning Blue. Not so much, no. In fact, I, I barely remember the song. Okay. No. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> and up next, we've got another song we've talked a bunch about on the podcast before. It is a Chaz Smash and Woody composition. It's Michael Caine. Now, this song is about an informer during the Northern Ireland conflict, known euphemistically as the Troubles. Now, involved in the Troubles would be the Irish Republican Army. Carl is Irish and would have been acutely aware of the Troubles. In fact, during a tour, he was denied entry to Germany because of his Irish passport. Let's take a listen to Michael Caine. Again, I hear somebody scream. 
my name is Michael Caine. And all I wanted was a word, a photograph to care. And all I wanted was a word, a photograph to care. Lori, any thoughts on Michael Caine and its meaning? You know, I think the meaning is still kind of a little bit lost on me because I really don't know enough about the situation in Northern Ireland. I mean, I understand that it's an informer whose name happens to be Michael Caine. And I know that the band actually did get the actor Michael Caine to do the, the voiceovers, which I thought was amazing. Even though the political meaning is maybe lost on me, it's still an awesome song. Yeah, that it is. Okay, so the next song, uh, as we've discussed in previous episodes, was actually left off of the American release of Keep Moving, and that would be Waltz Into Mischief. Let's listen to Waltz Into Mischief. So I think I might have said this in a previous episode, but when I listen to the lyrics with references to the wizard of sentence and crowds of white pointed heads, this seems to me, it's pretty obviously about the KKK, right? You have grand wizards, you have the, the white pointed hats. Um, so that's how I'm interpreting it. I don't know if that's what Carl and Suggs were getting at when they wrote this. Any thoughts about the meaning here, Polly? I know you're not the meaning guy. You, you don't get hung up on lyrics the way I get hung up on lyrics, but do you have any thoughts about this one? Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. I don't, I don't, I don't um, go through lyrics with a fine tooth comb trying to figure everything out, but I think you're kind of onto something. Uh, I, I would question what else they could be referring to with those two lines that you mentioned. I do think the song title, you know, Waltz into Mischief does allude to these sort of parade marching that the KKK did. And of course, you know, the song's got a waltz beat, right? Time signature, three, four time. So it's consistent. So next up is Victoria Gardens. That's a Chaz Smash and Mike Barson composition. And guesting on it is Dave Wakeling and Ranking Roger. Let's take a listen to Victoria Gardens. this is one of my favorites that madness has done love this song and there are a few songs in this episode that if you read about the songwriting process it kind of seems like a couple different ideas that kind of got meshed into one song and i think that's the case with this one too like we have the references to cardboard city land and uh carl has said you know he was walking around in like a very kind of rundown shantytown area 
people living in boxes. And somebody, I guess, actually was muttering to himself on the street something about a burnt out star. And so that's where that line about a burnt out star comes from. But then it kind of shifts a little bit when, when they do the lines. I look across Gray Lester Square, a large and silent crowd were walking, said they had every right to be there. And that to me sounds like it's documenting a protest. So Carl has said that this is about a campaign for nuclear disarmament march. Um, you know, the ban the bomb march. Um, so, uh, you know, we have to take it kind of from him that that probably is what they're alluding to. But I'm not so sure that there's not, like you said, quite a few other things thrown in there. Referring to Leicester Square, you know, in the height of Thatcherism, when there was trash strikes and, and things of that nature, I guess uh, the square was filled up with trash. And, um, you know, I, I question whether, um, uh, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't a homeless encampment as well. So um, I think it's, uh, you know, it hints at the overall feeling they may have had about Thatcherism. And it's no wonder that Dave Wakeling and Ranking Roger uh, were on the song. They were probably quite eager to. Dave's disdain for Margaret Thatcher goes way, way back, and he continues to talk about it to this day. You know, then that's interesting, too, because then I kind of wonder, you know, the part that they're singing, trying to see if what you're preaching is the truth, sir. And now that kind of leads me to wonder, who are they speaking to? You know, are they speaking to somebody in a position of power? So another song off that same album, Keep Moving, one of my absolute favorites, One Better Day, which was written by Suggs and Mark Bedford. This is a commentary on homelessness. It mentions Arlington House, which is a homeless hostel in London. Now Suggs has said, it's a terrible place. It's for displaced persons, not a home for psychopaths or loonies, but that's the way they're treated, like not being allowed in their rooms during the day. Let's listen to One Better Day. Well, it, it, it really is one of their better songs. Uh, they, the lyrics could have really been anything, uh, but it's just lovely sounding. Uh, the video also as well, uh, quite, uh, quite poignant. Um, I think it's really some of their best work. And I think probably why it's some of their best work is it is really heartfelt. Uh, they weren't doing it um, to make a convenient sort of single. Um, it was very genuine. Next up, we've got a Chrissy Boy and Suggs composition. It is burning the boats. Now, it's kind of an attack on government policy. Suggs is quoted as saying, during the miners' strike in the 80s, the police, for the first time, were allowed to stop the movement of people from one area to another. It really was starting to feel like a police state. Why don't we take a listen to burning the boats?
Now, Lori, uh, we've spoke about this before on the Mad Not Mad episode. I'm not really a fan of the style or the sound of this song, but, um, you know, nonetheless, uh, it does have that political theme running through it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, now that I know that this is about... Um police action during the minor strike some of the lyrics make a lot more sense to me you know like uh one two three what's the time who's that hanging off my line you know that kind of implies like a wiretap like somebody listening in on somebody's phones or uh the london bridge is to be closed you know stuff like that where they're they're closing it off presumably due to striking and protests so now i'm seeing it in a very different light now i know when i was researching on this uh chrissy boy it sounds like he wasn't really a big fan of this song either from what I was reading, even though he's one of the writers. Very interesting, you know, the, now that I know the background about it. So that was on Mad Not Mad and another pretty obviously political song on Mad Not Mad was Uncle Sam. And this was written by Chrissy Boy with Lee. And it's about the relationship between Great Britain and the US, specifically as allies who go to war together. So here's Uncle Sam. Here they come again Hopscotching up to my door One by one again Knockety-knock knock, knocking upon my floor Swinging on my gate They gain entry by the yard Pulling up my hair they scream I've got studies to examine Tomorrow I'll be watching all the Queen's men A talent contest on Monday with my uncle Sam Who now takes up all of my time He gives me things to do Cause he's a Now, I found some very interesting quotes about this. So Suggs has said, it's a sarcastic look at the obsession people have with America and the power America has over England and the way they always talk about defending themselves. And Carl said, it was about the fact that the American way of life has taken over, mainly through monetarism and how England kept all the worst sides of America and lost all its best sides. That was some pretty deep, heavy commentary there. <laughs> so that that would the context would get lost on a lot of people. I think it's a fairly upbeat and jovial type of song. So it would be really, really easy to lose um, the idea that this is about the relationship between Great Britain and the U.S. as the two, you know, world's prominent you know, military might. And uh, yeah, but uh, you know. It's, it's not an uncharming song. Well, you know, it's interesting to me that the comment of Carl's about how England kept all the worst sides of America and lost all its best sides. And this is something I hear a lot from uh, British friends on social media, like uh, their kids are going to prom. Oh, what's this? What's this? This is an American thing. You know, why are we doing an American thing? And now, surprisingly enough, Halloween, it seems like every year around Halloween, I see a lot of British people, oh, well, why are we doing this American holiday? Now, that confuses me because Halloween, Samhain, is a Celtic holiday. That's your neck of the woods over there, okay? That, that, that's not an American holiday. That's your holiday. <laughs> so that strikes me as a little strange. Next up, we've got a Suggs composition. It's Waiting for the Ghost Train. Now, if you listen closely, you might be able to tell that the song is, in fact, an anti-apartheid anthem. On June 20th, 1986, Madness played as part of Artists Against Apartheid at Brixton Academy in London. Let's take a listen to the song Waiting for the Ghost Train. 
chested man A pocket full of posies with a hat brim full of sand Waiting for the train that never comes A duck chasing the tumbleweeds across the sandy floor Drift along the platform through the ticket office door Waiting for the train that never comes Lori, thoughts on Waiting for the Ghost Train? Well, it, it's a fun song, even though it has, again, this kind of darker meaning, right? And especially in that time period, mid-80s, 86, 87, around there. Over here in America, we had a number of musicians that banded together, too, and they recorded that song, Sun City, in protest against apartheid, right? It was Little Steven, Jackson Brown. There are a lot of really, really big names that were in that. And it was really, it was everywhere, that kind of protest song against apartheid around that time. I, I kind of wonder if, if this might have been lost on some of the people that had accused madness of racism in the previous decade. You know what I mean? I, I wonder if that was confusing to them or, you know, I don't know. Yes, it, it, it is quite possible because um, you have to really pay attention quite closely to uh, really get at the meaning of the song. Uh, so, you know, it could no doubt be just mistaken for a, a traditional pop song. Well, and that's something you commented on, I think, on the previous song, too, on Uncle Sam. There is always this juxtaposition with madness where they have very serious subject matter with very kind of upbeat, you know, jaunty tune where a lot of the people singing along maybe don't realize, you know, the meaning of some of these songs. So next up, we're going to talk about Vietnam, the song, the Jimmy Cliff song. Now, Madness did a cover of it, didn't appear on, on any of their proper LPs, but it has appeared on the Forever Young collection. Uh, so go look for it there. Now, the song was written by Jimmy in 1969. by the band sometime around 2005, right around the time they were doing the Danger Men sessions. They were doing a lot of covers. And as Polly mentioned, right, this is a cover of an old Jimmy Cliff song. So the lyrics, don't be alarmed, she told me the telegram said, oh, but Mistress Brown, your son is dead. And then elsewhere in the song, somebody please stop that war now. So it is very clearly an anti-Vietnam War protest song, which maybe seems a little weird in 2005 when, you know, a lot of people don't remember the Vietnam War, maybe don't remember the controversy about it. But I think they were getting back to their ska roots at the time. And this was, um, we talked at the, the beginning of the podcast here about ska having very political roots and, and this song by Jimmy Cliff really speaks to that, doesn't it? And it does. And um, it's remarkable, um, the simplicity with which Jimmy Cliff wrote that. And uh, of course, the Madness cover is very faithful to it as well, which I think is, is good. They didn't mess about with it at all. They just did a very straight ahead cover. But, um, you know, unlike other Vietnam uh, protest songs, 
you know, fortunate son. Jimmy Cliff apparently did not feel compelled to write a very nuanced, very subtextual song. He just laid it out in three verses. I got a letter the other day from my friend in Vietnam, you know, talks about the girlfriend, talks about the mother, talks about I'm already on my way home, essentially. I'm just about ready to be released from my tour. And then, of course, the last verse with the mother getting the telegram and saying that the son is dead. And that's it. Yeah. He doesn't have to go on and prattle on about the horribleness of it or anything like that. And the last half of the song is just saying Vietnam over and over and over. But it's melodical. It's musical. It's a great tempo. Just fantastic all the way through. Well, and it's probably worth noting, too, that the context, right, in 1969, Jimmy Cliff, right, a Black man writing this song because Black and brown people were more likely to fight and die in the Vietnam War simply because white people, generally speaking, had more ways of getting out of it where like, for example, they could go to college and so they could get out of the draft where that was not available to as many black men because you know they didn't necessarily have the means for it. So it makes sense that there would be a Jamaican ska performer that would be writing about this from the perspective of a black man, right? From his perspective. Okay, so next up we have a few more recent songs. One of them is called Mumbo Jumbo. And this was written by Tamo along with a man named Keith Finch. Let's listen to it a little bit. again you represent the party but never portray the crumbling infrastructure comes falling away coming together raise your right arm stoke a little fear back to maggie's farm so raising the right arm obviously that's a fascist salute maggie's farm margaret thatcher even though this is a more recent song, it's hearkening back to the days of Thatcherism in the Conservative Party. We're, we can kind of trace a, a direct line, I think, from Boris Johnson, who is currently the prime minister, all the way back to Maggie Thatcher. Hey, oh, I, I think you're onto something there, Lori. In fact, Suggs was quoted as saying, it's also a little bit political in itself. This delusion with the powers that be that had led us to Brexit and all the other shit we were going through at the time. Well, I guess we can tell what side of the Brexit argument Suggs fell on. Um, but yes, uh, you know, that's, I think uh, with a lot of artists, um, where they can put their finger on the pulse of, of what's going on and they can sense that disillusionment. Uh, I think a lot of times people feel obligated to write about it. Okay, and off the Can't Catch Us Now album, there was a song, Mr. Apples. It was written by Suggs. Why don't we take a listen? A devout and well-respected man Woe betide you if you wander from God's plan Square-shouldered, straight as a die the righteous truth will never tell you no lies But when the old sun go down He's heading off up the wrong side of town Eyes sparkle in the red light glow Trouser pockets, he's ready to go oh, 
that was Mr. Apple's Lori. What's your take on it? Well, it definitely is calling out the hypocrisy of uh, certain classes of people, isn't it? Yeah, that it is. The uh, don't, uh, you know, the kind of um, do as I say, not as I do crowd. As a matter of fact, we found a quotation from Suggs. So he said, maybe it's a British thing, but there seem to be great swaths of the upper echelons of society who tell us how to behave, but behave in a completely different way themselves. So during the day, they're on a committee discussing prostitution and drugs, and by night, cavorting with those very same things. And a good point to make. We, we're not free of that here in the United States. We see that quite often. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the most recent song that we have, this is the last one we're going to talk about today. Uh, this came out about two years ago. It's called Bullingdon Boys. Now, this was originally a one-off single. They put it on the most recent American compilation album, which was Our House, The Very Best of Madness. New Music Express has said that the song is inspired by the fact that 19 of the 54 UK prime ministers have come from Eton. The new song takes aim at Johnson, who was educated at Eton College before going on to study at Oxford and his peers with anti-Tory lyrics. The Tories, the Conservative Party, of which Boris Johnson, the prime minister, is a member, and uh, kind of how this elite clique, if you will, uh, who have gone through this particular school have come to be the ruling class in the UK. Let's listen to Bullingdon Boys. boys which mike barson wrote polly what do you think well we certainly have parallels to that scenario in the united states uh, you know yale sometimes is viewed as a college that produces a lot of um, folks that go on to uh, political aspirations a lot of legacy um, candidates there you know parents are parents who went there and they've been in politics in their respective states forever and also, I feel like, um, you know, from a, a working class guy's perspective, it's, it seems that uh, certain people go to uh, a school, uh, graduate, whether they do particularly well or not, um, but they're just on a fast track to, um, you know, be uh, corporate leaders and things like that. It has as much to do, I think, with what school you've gone to as what... Uh, you know, potentially what family you're in, uh, your connections, things like that. So it seems as though, you know, there's also something here in the United States that kind of circumvents and cuts out, uh, you know, those uh, those ladders, those ways up for a lot of <laughs> a lot of people like us. So, uh, yeah, it's not unique to not unique to the UK <laughs> by any means. It was a really interesting choice for them to put this on the Our House compilation album, though, just because. Again, I think the whole idea of Bullingdon boys and Eaton, I think would be lost on most Americans. I don't think they'd get that reference. I don't know. I, I, that was a weird decision. Like maybe, who, who are they targeting here with this album that they're throwing that in there, you know? Sure, I, I, I think it's really just a matter of timing. So um, there had been, you know, Can't Touch Us Now and the Full House compilation released um, in pretty close succession i can't even remember which one was released first uh and then of course they went back in the studio and produced bowling boys so mm -hmm. the next album that would be released would be the american compilation so i'm sure they just wanted to gotcha. slide it on there so it'd be on some 
media. Gotcha. So this concludes our examination into the politics of madness. And, you know, again, uh, some of the band members are a little bit more active politically than others. As is our tradition, we like to close with a song. Uh, oftentimes it's a cover version of one of the songs from the episode. And I really had to dig into my, uh, my music collection for this one. Polly, have you heard, heard this version uh, of Michael Caine? that I'm about to play? Uh, yeah, that I have, and I actually have you? like it. I, I think it's a bit refreshing compared to the original. I like oh. it. See, I thought maybe I was going to impress you with something you'd never heard before. So uh, this is a cover by a German electronic band called And One. They were really, really big around here in like the early 2000s at all the dance clubs. I think the song that they're best known for is Panzermensch which would always get the dance floor going crazy. So this is one of maybe their more mellow songs. This is a cover of Michael Caine by And One. And on that note, thank you so much. Tune in in two weeks. We have a special surprise episode coming up. And it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Oh, so